and welcome to another great message from Mr. Christian Outreach Church. We pray you'll be inspired and equipped by this teaching. For more information on Noosa Christian Outreach Church, please check out our website at noosacoc.org.au. Enjoy. Thank you. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate it. Here you go. Uh, actually, as you've noticed, first of all, hello. How are you? As you've noticed, I've, I've, uh, I'm still trying to kick this sniffly nose, so I've taken some antibiotics and it's moved all the stuff in my chest into my head. I don't know if you can relate. So I've gone from sounding a little bit like Batman to a guy named Wazza from the Outback. Hey, yeah, like a bit nasally, so apologise for that. No offence if your name is Wazza and you're from the Outback. I still love you. <coughs> That's actually just my normal voice when I'm in Gainda, but no. So apologies for that, but look, before we get into what I'm going to share with you this morning, I just want to tell you a joke, just because jokes are good. Uh, if, if nothing else, it's, it shows the innovation that we have the potential for, and so uh, I actually heard another preacher uh, share this joke before, and I just thought it was clever and innovative, so I'm going to share it with you. A man named John moved to Texas and bought a donkey from an old farmer for $100. The farmer agreed to deliver the donkey the next day. The next day, the farmer drove up, the, drove up and said, Look, sorry, but I have some bad news. The donkey died. So John said, Well, then, look, just give me my money back. That's not a problem. The farmer says, Look, I can't do that. I'm sorry. I've already spent all of your money. I said, Okay, then. Look, just unload the donkey right here. It's fine. I'll take it. And the farmer, curious, said, uh, What are you going to do with him? And John replied, I'm going to raffle him off. The farmer said, You can't raffle off a dead donkey. I said, sure I can. Watch me. I just won't tell anyone he's dead. A month later, the farmer met up with John and said and asked, hey, so what, what happened with that dead donkey? And John replied, I raffled him off. I sold 500 tickets at $2 a piece and made a profit of $898. The farmer said, that's incredible. Didn't anyone complain? He said, yeah, the guy who won. The farmer said, oh, what'd you do? Oh, I gave him his $2 back. <clears throat> Innovative. I don't encourage the youth to do that, but that's innovative. It's an incredible thing. No one would know. Anyway, lame jokes aside, uh, I want to talk to you this morning about the concept of reward. More importantly, I actually want to talk to you about uh, he is our reward. God is our reward. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I've shared this testimony before. I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago in the cafe, and they were telling me how um, just a couple of weeks beforehand when we stood up here and prayed for those who were sick or uh, unhealthy or had pain in their bodies, they said, you know, you don't know this, but there was someone in the congregation who I know, and they had sharp, piercing pain in the right-hand side of their body. Uh, they had this pain. They didn't tell anyone about it. They just had pain in the right side of their body. And as we prayed, just as a church, no one laid hands on them. No one knew about the pain. No one did anything specific. This person didn't do anything in particular. But as we prayed as a church, all the pain dissipated from the right-hand side of her body. Just disappeared. That's in this church, in this service just a few weeks ago. God working an incredible miracle in someone's life. Just in youth the other week, I found out this about a week ago. We, we, we love to pray for people who are sick or in pain. And I found out that... Um, so one of the leaders laid hands on someone who had a sore shoulder and as they were praying, the pain in their shoulder started to subside and disappear. Someone else said, I had a sniffly nose. We are praying for people to be healed from flus and felt their nose start to clear up as we prayed. Just simple things. Uh, it's incredible to me. It's incredible to me 
God's ability to just heal people like that on the spot. You don't have to do anything special. It's not about uh, a specific person praying. It's not about um, a specific thing that we do. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit in us through the name of Jesus declaring his authority over situations and people's lives being changed. And I love to share that because uh, that's, our, that's part of our reward. Not because we've done anything special, but because we have Christ in us, we inherit the greatness and the, the goodness that he embodies. It's an incredible thing. I want to talk to you this morning about our reward. And the cool thing about that is even uh, I had one of the young guys at youth say, we're talking about people who got healed and all that. And he said, it's cool. Like, I, I love the fact people get healed and it's exciting. He said, but I don't get why people are surprised. Because isn't that just normal? For Christians, I'm like, oh, I like you. The 13-year-old saying, look, it's just normal. It's not like it's meant to be a surprise. Yes, we're always so grateful for what God has done and the miracles that he works, both physically and, and at, you've probably experienced miracles yourself. It's an incredible thing that we're grateful for, but we're not surprised because that's the nature of our God. And, and I love uh, sharing these testimonies with you because, in my opinion, you can chuck that first slide up. Every breakthrough we experience is meant to teach us something new about the nature and character of God. We don't just experience breakthroughs, we don't just experience miracles and great things God does, so we can say, oh, that was great. Yay. The reason God reveals himself the way he does in so many different ways is so we can learn something about his nature and his character. Why? Because he is our great reward. If we receive the blessings that come from knowing him, but we don't learn of his nature and character, we've missed the ultimate eternal reward that he intended for us. Because he is our reward. I want to talk to you this morning about how he is our reward. I'm just going to pray and we'll get into it. Father, thank you so much for being so good. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that we get to do this life together and with you. And I pray this morning that as I speak, you'd bless the hearts of people, that you'd encourage and provoke people's hearts, minds, and souls to know you more, that we would seek you as our ultimate reward, that you are the one who brings ultimate satisfaction to our souls, to our spirit, to all that we are. So we bless you for that. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You ever notice in the things that you do, uh, when you disciple people, when you invest into people, there's a reward in that, in that you hopefully get to see what you invest come out as fruit, you get to see the fruit of what you've invested into people. Parents, I don't know any parent who would invest everything we invest into children to hopefully not see the fruit of that in children. It's not, sometimes it's hard not to expect that, but what we hope is that when we invest into people, we see the fruit of that in their lives. And to us, when we see people grow, thanks to what we've given them, thanks to what God's done, it's a reward. And it's a wonderful thing. We see the rewards of being generous when we give a finance or time or we, we choose to use our lives in a way that is generous towards other people, we get to see the reward of what that does in the hearts and minds and lives of other people. I love that we wrote $2,000. Uh, we get the reward of seeing less families go into homelessness. Why? Because a, few pe- a lot of people got together, gave a little bit and had a massive impact in the community of Noosa. I love that. I love the fruit and the reward of being generous. I love that doing money God's way actually brings blessing into your life. There's actually a reward to it. And that's an incredible thing that I celebrate. I love the reward of exercising. You can hopefully one day get a physique like Josh's. Uh, when we ex- <coughs> Excuse me. It's good preaching from the front. Thank you. When you exercise and eat healthy, when you, you, you have more energy, you're more fit, you feel better about life and what you're doing, when you, you have a reward of getting yourself active and eating well, that we do these things that sow into our lives and people's lives and we gain a reward. 
There's so many things that we do that brings a reward into our life. If you look in the Bible, God's definitely not against rewarding. He says um, he rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. Uh, Jesus says if when you're giving, make sure your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. And as you uh, give in private, he will reward you publicly. He says when you pray, as you seek him in the secret place, those who have seeked him in private will be rewarded publicly. You see on and on in the Bible, different things. God says when this happens, this is what the result is. And we see the reward. So God is certainly not against people being outwardly and physically rewarded for what we do. And I celebrate that, and I love that reality. I love celebrating with people when their lives have been rewarded. I love, I love building people and seeing the very thing they're pursuing come to fruition in their life. I love seeing people when they're pursuing to be successful, when they're pursuing to grow, when they're pursuing to go forward. I celebrate that. I love that God rewards those who, who diligently seek him and, and grows people's lives. But if you were to ask me, what's the ultimate reward, though, of your life? What's the ultimate reason... You're a Christian. We've gotten to this point where the simple answer would be, it's just him. There is no greater reward than to know the Father. I can go about my life doing what God's called me to do. You can go about your life. We can go about together doing all the things God's called us to do and achieving great things for the kingdom. And I pray that we continue to do that. But ultimately, if it gets down to it, say, why are you a Christian? Why do you do the things that God says to do? Why do you act that way? Why do you believe what you do? It's very simple. It's because of him. Because I want to know him. I can't not know him. It's because of him. What's the passion that drives the Christian life? What's the passion that drives us to continue even when things are hard? What's the drive? It's him. Him and us. See, I could talk to you about how people say, why are you a Christian? How do you know? Where's the evidence that you're a Christian? I could say, look, there are 66 books of the Bible, 40 different authors, 1,500 years across which they were written. And yet all of them culminate to point to the one person of Jesus Christ. The way he lived his life, the odds that he would fulfill so many prophecies were so far-fetched, it's almost impossible, yet he achieved it if you, you can historically prove the existence of Jesus and he fulfilled the prophetic utterance of the scripture. You can look in scripture and find prophecies of world events 700 years before they took place. I can tell you about the historical context and the cultural context and all different things about the Bible as to why I believe it to be true. The Bible has more documentation to support its validity than any other historical book in the entire world that's ever been. Nothing comes close to it. There is more historical evidence to support the Bible and its claims than any book of history to which we've laid claimed. I could talk to you about I could talk to you about the psychology of the gospel. I've studied a master's in counseling and completing at the moment and it's incredible to me the things you learn about human development and how the grace of God can affect someone's life. I can tell you how they're just, they're learning more and more these days about how what's called a therapeutic relationship where you build a specific kind of relationship with someone who's going through a hard time and the very nature get this it's relationship itself that brings healings to people's soul. And yet we have the Bible that in Genesis says that in the beginning we were in perfect relationship with a perfect God. We're learning at a deep, deep level how the fundamental principles of how God created us is actually what restores us back to wholeness. I could go on and on about the philosophical, psychological, hermeneutical, philosophical, theological reasons why 
We're Christians. Why? We believe in Jesus. But ultimately, all that aside, why are you a Christian? Why do you pursue God? Why do you want to know how to live life His way? Why? Because He's my reward. Because all that aside and all that that's contributed to is, I have a desire in my spirit. You have a desire in your spirit. Thanks to Jesus that just wants to know Him because He is the reward. He is our reward. If you're going through a struggle at the moment, going, what is this Christian thing? I don't understand. I don't get what. Why does it have to be hard? How come this doesn't make sense? And what does God say about this? And I still haven't got an answer for this. Why should I pursue being Christian? I guarantee you, you keep pursuing God. The reason you will want to pursue God more, what is? Because he is the ultimate eternal reward that satisfies your soul like no other. His love and his perfection, his spirit in you is the ultimate driving force of pursuing a life of wholeness. God is our reward. And herein lies the paradox of the Christian faith. Because we've been told to seek and know an unsearchable and unknowable God. What I mean by that is this. It's not that we can't know about God and know him. I believe that. But God, we're talking about God in all of his magnificence, in all of his majesty. No human mind can actually comprehend the fullness of who God is. There's no way we can fully search out in all of eternity the greatness that he embodies. He is beyond what our minds can fathom. We cannot search him out. We cannot know him completely. He's unsearchable to completion. He's unknowable. And then the Bible tells us, seek to know me. What? Seek to know me. Because that is what you'll be doing for all of eternity. And every time you learn something new about who I am, it will take you from glory to glory to glory. And you will behold me the way I have beheld you. And you will know me. That is the reward of walking with him. If you look in the Bible, <coughs> excuse me, at uh, heroes of the faith, You've got people like Abram. If you turn your Bible to Genesis 15, if you have it there. Abram, who later became Abraham, is the one through whom God established original covenant with people. Um, he's the one through whom the nation of Israel was established and the nation of Israel eventually through the different lineage of Abraham um, came Jesus, the saviour of the world. The reason I'm standing here talking to you this morning is because of the covenant God first made with Abraham, which made a way for Jesus to come in and become the Messiah. Abraham is an incredible hero of our faith. We honour him, we honour his life. If you look at the life of Abraham, um, you'll see in Scripture, God took him out and said, look to the stars. These are um, the number of children I'm going to give you. I'm going to make nations from you. And this is at a point where it's impossible for Abraham to have children. We talk about Abraham a lot, the exploits he did, the way God tested him. We honour him as a great hero of the faith, as we should, because the covenant was established through him. But if you look in Genesis 15... As God was waking him up to make that promise about, I will multiply you and number your children like the stars. In verse 1 it says this, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram, get this, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Before he made the promise of blessing, before he made the promise to make him a nation, before he gave him all the children that he promised him, what did he say? He said, Abraham, I am. I, God, God Almighty, I am your shield and I am 
your exceedingly great reward. It's because God was the reward given to Abraham that he was then able to establish covenant with Abraham. Because God was Abram's reward. If you fast forward and go to David, we look at um, David. David slew a giant and people thought he was incredible. He received honor and he had a reward of applause when he slew a giant that intimidated a nation. Uh, He was the first hand-picked king by God himself. He said, I've anointed David as king. He got anointed. He got the reward of people saying, David is the ultimate king. Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. He, he established a kingdom, established peace. He had victory over so many nations and smite the enemies of God. And he established so many wonderful things. He started the work of seeing the temple built so the presence of God could dwell with his people. He had a son, Solomon, and taught him in a way that Solomon became, thanks to God, the wisest man to have lived and became extremely wealthy. And people came to him to ask, what was the source of your blessing? That all came from David. We've heard many sermons and many preachers about the wonderful man. David got the label, the man after God's own heart. If there's a label that you want on your life, it's that one. But then if you go to Psalm 27 and look at the sort of man David was and the things he said. In Psalm 27 he says this, One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, to behold his beauty and to inquire in the temple. After everything David's got, all the exploits he did, all the things that the source of his life, the motivation for his life, the reason he was who he was, the reason I believe he maintained even when he messed up, the reason why he was able to maintain the place of honor that he did, why? Because he said, there's one thing that I desire. I just want to see your beauty. See, to David, his reward was the Lord. There's no other greater reward in David's eyes than to know the Lord, to behold the beauty of God and to inquire in the temple, to go, God, all I want to do is sit here a while and I want to see you and I want to ask, how do you do things? Why do you do things? There's no greater reward than just to sit here and say, show me who you are because you are my reward. Nothing matters outside of knowing you. Fast forward into the New Testament, you've got the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul still today, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament just about. He he instructed the early church. um, We we build theology and we build uh, governmental structures around how we run churches based on the stuff that Paul has said. Paul had the incredible honor of instructing the early church. He was beaten and whipped and stoned and shipwrecked for the sake of the gospel. He was honored by people. He instructed the early church. He carried the gospel, excuse me, in power. But then you turn to Philippians... Chapter 3, verse 7, and Paul says this, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom have I suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him. Paul said, everything that could lay claim to my fame, everything that attributes goodness to me, said, I count everything as loss, as rubbish, that I may know him. 
the motivation for Paul the Apostle. The motivation for everything. How do you go through what Paul went through and stay so passionate and stay so full on and stay so consistent and persevere through what you persevere? You don't do that for a, for a Facebook status. You don't, you don't do that because on my Facebook, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. Paul didn't have some mere conviction that God was a good God. It's probably a nice idea to go with him. Paul, at the innermost parts of who he was, was convinced Jesus Christ is God and I must know him. He has captured my soul. He has captured my spirit in such a way that even if I don't know how to put it into words, even if I don't know what to do next, I must know him. Everything else that would attribute righteousness to me is rubbish compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. If you want to know the reward of the Christian faith, it's him. Your reward is knowing Jesus. And I'm so thankful that that is our reward. Because there's no greater reward than him in us revealing himself. He is our reward. And that's a wonderful concept. I believe. And it's a, a great thing to pursue. But there is a little bit of a catch to that, that pursuit to know him, a little bit. And it's not always roses and fairies, as most of you would know. It's not always smooth sailing. In pursuing to know him, sometimes you hit some hiccups in the road. And I think the issue comes with that word, no. Paul says that I may know him. And not all the meaning, but part of the meaning with that no. It's not like a no. It's like, oh, I know you. How you going? It's a, I want to know you. As, it's the same uh, idiom used in, in Jewish context of knowing someone through sexual intimacy. Where, and what's meant by that is <clears throat> every part of who I am is present with you. And I want to give myself to you that you can know all of me. And I hope that you reciprocate that giving of yourself to me, that we may, in the, in the space of a covenant made between each other, grow an intimacy that lasts for years and years and years and leaves a legacy for our children's children. This concept of intimacy of, I want to know someone to the degree that we just know everything about it, I just know your flaws and I still accept, know to the point where I completely know you and I completely accept you. That kind of know, where we have that reciprocated with one another. How many of you know that that's a wonderful thing to pursue, but that definitely puts you, especially in the context of an imperfect world, that makes you vulnerable to the faults of other people. To offer yourself to be known by somebody, to want to be completely accepted and completely known at the same time, it leaves some vulnerability. And when you're vulnerable, sometimes we can be a little bit prickly. And sometimes people just press the wrong button and uh, things can happen. So I want to look at... as. Um, I finish up today three things that happen when we pursue to know God as our ultimate reward. It's a great thing to pursue, but what happens when my pursuit is to just know you as my ultimate reward, to give myself entirely to you, God, that every part of my life, good, bad, ugly, and different, would be open completely to you so that you could have your transformational will in my life. What does that mean? What will that do? And you can chuck up the third slide. That'd be cool. Slide number three. See... What happens is it changes or challenges our view of ourselves. Oh, sorry, of God first. Challenges our view of, of God. I think about it up there. Our problem is rarely, if ever, with God. Our problem is with our perception of who we believe God to be. 
Often people have an issue with God, or if I have an issue with God, generally speaking, it's not so much an issue with who God actually is, it's just who we've perceived him to be in that moment, and what he's not doing for us in that moment. Therefore, I'm angry at the one, I'm angry because you're not being what you're supposed to be in this moment, because I know what God's like all the time. A problem is often with our perception of who we believe God to be. And so we, when we surrender our lives and say, God, no conditions. I just want you as my reward and I want to know you. He's like, great. Um, just be aware that I will challenge your current perception of who you think I am. And you won't always like that. And you have to make the decision, will you hold on to your perception or be transformed by the renewing of your mind? For example... I'm sure none of you can relate to this, but you know, it's probably just me. Maybe you've had a, a child or a spouse or a sibling or a parent and they've um, done something that just, just ticks you off. <laughs> ticks you off. You're like, oh, there's just something about what they did. Or, and it's not what they said, it's how they said it. It's not what you said, it's how you said it. It's not what you did, it's what you didn't do. It's, it's often what, people, what we um, subtly expect people to be and then they don't meet those expectations or they touch a wound in us and then we're just like, oh. and in that moment we expect God to justify our offense and go, God, this person's like this and this and this. How could you create someone like that? Oh my gosh, I can't believe. And, and we'll, we'll wait for God to go, yeah, absolutely right. I don't know what I was doing there. Don't know what happened. You just sit there in your offense and I'll see to it that I fix that other person. Thank you so much for making me aware of their faults. I appreciate that. That never happens. Never happens. Because even if you recognize a valid fault in another person, God will always turn around and go, cool, why does that bug you so much? Why do you need a three-year-old to speak to you respectfully all the time? Why does it bug you the way your wife cuts tomatoes? Who cares? Why does it bug you with the way they said something? You don't know what they're thinking. Why are you assuming they meant that by what they said? Don't we love to assume what they really meant by that was this? And God never gave, as far as I'm aware, anyone the ability to know what another person is thinking to justify an offense. So God will go in that moment. He's like, you might think I want to justify you in your brokenness and justify you in your offense, but that's not what I'm like. I'm the sort of God who instead... We'll go, I understand that you're hurt, I understand you're breaking, and I've I, I got room for that. But I'm actually a God who wants to see you grow and become more than you currently are. And I want you to deal with the reason why this bothers you so much. See, when Peter, when Peter walked on the water and began to sink, now, you would think that walking on the water was a big enough deal and God would be impressed. And when he began to sink, Jesus didn't say, look, I understand you sink, it's a pretty big deal. Like, you walked on water, probably the first dude to ever do that, that's a big deal, well done. He said, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? You didn't need to doubt. You just do what I asked you to do. When the disciples came to Jesus and said, this boy has a demon, we couldn't cast him out. Jesus didn't say, look, I understand that. Um, That's actually, I probably shouldn't have sent you into that because, you know, it's probably a bit beyond uh, what you're able to do at the moment. So, look, bring him to me. I saw doubt. He didn't say that. He said, oh, my gosh. How long do I have to put up with you? Bring him to me. And cast the demon out. I believe in a God of compassion. I believe in a God who loves. I believe in a God who's kind and gentle and patient because that's what love does. But I also believe in a God who's interested in people maturing. 
And a big part of the way we mature is that he challenges our perception of what we think he's going to do or what we think he should be in our lives to justify staying where we are. When you seek to know God as your reward, he will challenge how you view him. I'll tell you a secret. I actually just gave you the point about how he changes the way you view yourself. That's what that was. That's how God changes your view of yourself. So what I'm going to do now is tell you how does God challenge the way you view him. Just to let you know, to rewind. When I was younger, when I was younger, uh, I don't know if you can relate to this, but uh, when I was trying to know God and relate to God, I would carry guilt for certain things and think what I need to do is be guilty for a few days and then once I feel guilty enough and feel okay with what I did, then, I could, then me and God are good again. You know, that, that kind of immature kind of way of looking at God. You know, I just need to carry guilt. And the Bible says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But I thought what I need to do is carry this guilt. But then I realized that in, the, in Hebrews it says, Come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy in your time of need. That you may obtain mercy in your time of need. What is God doing? Reshaping the way I viewed him in areas of my brokenness. Realizing that instead of condemning me, instead of saying, what are you doing? He said, I forgive you. Come boldly to me. I'll give you grace and mercy and help you in your time of need because that's who I am. And it challenges us because sometimes it's nice to carry around a bit of guilt because we like to pay for our own mistakes to take credit for then being good again. But God says, don't do that. I want you to come straight to me and understand that I forgive you before you forgive yourself. In, in Matthew 7, uh, there's that classic scripture, you know, it says, um, uh, in that day you'll say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons and heal the sick and do all these things in your name? And Jesus said, and I will say to them, away from me, I never knew you. And if you look at the context of that scripture, uh, Jesus was actually talking a, a lot about uh, knock and the door will be open for you, asking it will be given to you, seek and you will find. He talks about judge not, lest you be judged. And it's interesting to me that in that, essentially what it's saying, if, you, if the evidence of someone who pursues to know me is that they have audacity, humility, and I've forgotten the last one, and show kindness. Audacity, humility, and show kindness. It's, it's often uncult, uh, uncommon uh, in culture to ask for what we want. Sometimes it's taught it's selfish to ask for what you want. It's selfish to ask to say what you actually want. But God's saying in the scriptures, hey, look, if you've got things you need and things you require, I want you to come to me and realize I'm not a God who's far off and thinks you're selfish. If you need something or if you want something, I want you to actually come boldly to me, ask me for what you need, and we'll work on seeing that happen. See, it takes audacity to go after the things God's called us to do and to ask him for the things he's promised he'll give us. It takes humility. It's very easy to judge other people and make a judgment about their lives and go, oh, that person's like this, this, and this, because they are this, 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 and this. And Jesus says, no, no, I want you to first look at the plank in your own eye before you can make a comment about the speck in somebody else's. I want you to have humility. And I want you to show kindness. He says, do unto others as you would have do unto them, in the context of loving people as you love yourself. I want you to have humility, audacity, and I want you to show kindness. And when you pursue those things, that's the evidence of someone pursuing to know me and have me as their reward. The other things are just gifts that he empowers us with through his spirit. 
When we pursue God to have him as our reward, he challenges the way we view him, he challenges the way we view ourselves, and he challenges the way we view other people. I want to share with you just a, a simple statement. I'll wrap it up here. The band can hop up if they could do that. That would be wonderful. Just go to the last slide. That would be cool. Slide six. Jesus challenged the view that other people existed so that through comparing myself to them, I could measure how righteous and successful I am. Jesus challenged the Pharisees all the time saying, you don't get to look at other people's lives and how sinful you think they are to then go, so for me, because I follow the law and I do these things, I'm righteous. Jesus challenged our perception to go in any subtle way to go, I'm going to use that person and compare myself to them so that I can prove that, you know, I'm good and I'm going well. And it challenges not so much the external thing, what we do. No one goes up to another person and goes, how are you going? Look, I've noticed that you're really successful in these things, but I've compared myself to you and I've actually got more money and uh, do this better than you. So thank you for allowing me to see that I'm a really successful person. No one's ever done that. And if you have, I suggest not doing that. See, when Jesus confronted the whole, I don't want you to compare, he wasn't confronting behavior, he was confronting your heart. How much of you do you define or how much you haven't done of what that person down the road's done? How much do you define your identity based on what you have compared to what someone else appears to have? In your heart, what is it that's defining who you are, what you do, and why you're alive? What's giving you a sense of purpose? Incredible thing with walking with God, he'll always invite us to see ourselves through the redeemed identity we have in Christ. And it will challenge us to the core and challenge the very things we've used to measure our value and worth in the past. But I love the reality that even in struggles, when we don't know what's going on the inside or we don't know what's going on the outside, as we seek God to have him as our great and only reward, and as he reshapes and changes the way we view him and ourselves and other people, that's when we really begin to experience the transformative work and the transformative power of the cross. When we see him transform our lives and the lives of people around us and get real and open our entire selves to God so that he may do his transforming work on our minds, hearts and souls. Can I encourage you this morning if you're wondering why become a Christian or why am I Christian? It's just to know him. There are definitely things he gives us to do. There's a purpose we have. But the reason, the first and foremost reason is that we may know him. Together that we may pursue him in a way and we may bounce off each other and learn learn things from each other that we may know him completely and that he may know us and transform our lives. I'm going to pray for you this morning but and I just want to, uh, before I do that, give an opportunity to one group of people. We like to do this every week. I talk a lot about God knowing you and being in relationship with him and his kindness and his love and I talked a little bit about Jesus and Maybe you've heard a bit about that and never done anything about it. Maybe you've never heard it before. Just very simply, what I'm talking about is in the beginning, God created us in perfect union with him. Perfect. And then we got deceived into thinking that we could go one up on perfect relationship. And uh, the the enemy, the the devil, um, deceived us and tempted us and said, just do this one thing God told you to leave alone uh, and you'll have an even better relationship with him. God didn't actually say to do that. And we believed the deception and sin came in between us and God and separated us from relationship with him. 
And God said, that's a problem because I created you to be in perfect union with me. I didn't create you to be outside of knowing me. I didn't create you to be in a kingdom of darkness. I created you to be in a kingdom of light. And mankind said, well, look, give us a bunch of rules. Give us the things we can do to earn our way back into your good graces. And God said, that won't work. It won't solve anything, but have a go. And we did, and we made it worse. And we never restored the relationship we had with God. And God said, I still have to do something about this because I want you back. I want you as my people. So he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to come down and put skin on. You're going to call me Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he lived a life that demonstrated what true love actually is from the heart of God the Father. And he showed us what the kingdom of God was. He lived a perfect life and then we accused him falsely, beat him beyond recognition and put him on a cross. And he died. But the incredible thing was that when he died, every sin, everything that would come between us and a relationship with God died with him. And then miraculously, three days later, Jesus rose again. It says, if you, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved, healed, delivered. Brought out of a kingdom of darkness back into light where your spirit and God's spirit are reunited in a relationship of love and you get to spend the rest of eternity seeking what it means to know him as your God, as your friend, as your father, as your redeemer, as everything that he is. So this morning, if I can get everyone just to close their eyes really quickly, if you've never responded to that gospel, maybe you've never heard it or you've heard it and never responded, but you've never responded and said, I actually want to know God for myself in that way. I may not know all the answers. I may be a bit confused, but if, if this thing's real, then I, I want in. If that's you, I just want you to pop your hand up. I'll see it and you can put it down again. Just a few more seconds as I look around. If you want to respond to Jesus and say, I want to know him for myself. I'm going to pray. We're going to do one more song. And I hope you've been encouraged this morning. I hope you've been um, blessed with a fresh sense that I'm alive to know God. And he is my reward. Father, thank you so much for these people here before me. Thank you so much that I have the opportunity to be part of this community. And I pray in Jesus' name that we would pursue together to have you as our exceedingly great reward. I pray that we would see that the, the first and foremost purpose of why we're here and, and in relationship with you is to know you. And I thank you that from knowing you, you transform the way we see God, you transform the way we see ourselves, and you transform the way we see other people. And so we invite you to do that. We thank you for being so good. We love you. We bless you. We honor you in this place today, in the wonderful name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Hey, if, if you want any prayer for anything while there's music's on and after the service, feel free to come forward. We'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, join the team in the last song and join us for a coffee and some lunch outside. We'd love to chat to you. Have a blessed day. Thank you so much.